Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask Mapped, episode 112. This is the entity formerly known as Ask the Dean. We've renamed it because only some of us are deans. Uh, welcome to Ask Mapped. This is the live hour of free advising from the Mast, uh, Mapped advising team. Uh, our dear friend and founder, Ryan Gray, is taking a well-earned vacation this week. But you've still got the rest of the gang. So I'm Rachel Grubbs. I'm the co-founder along with Ryan. I've been helping pre-meds for 20 years, both with advising and MCAT. And I'm so excited to have the rest of the team here with me. So in no particular order, Courtney Lewis, our newest uh, advisor. Courtney, you come to us very recently from your post as Director of Admissions at Burrell College of Osteopathic. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. All right. We're thrilled to have you here. Dr. Scott Wright. Hello. Uh, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director of TMDSAS. And it's not even on here because there's only so many characters, but also former associate dean of UT Dallas, uh, pre-health and undergraduate education. Yeah, yeah. How's you, everybody you've doing? You've seen it all. Oh, wow. I've been on every side of it, right? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a tripod. It's a stool. And you've done each leg. There you go. <laughs> How are you today? There you go. Doing well, doing well. Everybody's right. doing good, I think. So, yeah, we're rocking and rolling. All right. And last but not least, Vernia Granum, sometimes known as Queen of the Pre-Med Universe, <laughs> more officially... Former assistant dean of the pre-health and STEM advising office at Hofstra University. Pinky's up. Um, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, ready to start talking to some students. Me too. All right. So I thought before we started taking questions, it might be just nice to do a little check-in on uh, kind of where we are for pre-meds, right? So... Um, Verenia, you're you've done a lot of advising for pre-meds who are kind of early. So maybe for a rising freshman or rising sophomore, what's top of mind right now for pre-meds? Oh, getting settled in uh, your first semester of college. Um, first years are my favorite. I, I love all pre-meds, but my first years are, are usually um, so excited and, and so full of just energy. Um, hold on to that. <laughs> hold on to that. Try not to take on too much balance yourself with just getting used to the pace of college and the volume of work. Mm -hmm. um, the pre-med activities will come. For now, the goal is just get settled, get to know your professors really well, get to know your academic support system uh, on mm -hmm. campus and at home, wherever that may be, mm -hmm. um, and, and take, take, take your time in adapting um, to, to this new pace because it is very different from, you know, high school, high school level courses. Yeah. And um, Dr. Scott Wright, I think right now for people who are in the application cycle, some of them are wrapping up secondaries, some are thinking about interviews, some are doing both. What words of wisdom do you have to say about secondaries right now? Yeah, secondaries, uh, get on the stick is uh, my word of wisdom for that. Uh, you, you know, we, we really suggest as uh, two to three weeks as a, as a, as a, timeline for getting mm -hmm. those submitted once you get them uh, if you're if you if you submitted your primary a little bit late uh, later you know maybe in end of July or mid July end of July and or maybe even early August then then you're going to be behind behind the 
hurt a little bit. Don't worry about that. I mean, it is what it is. But as those secondaries come in, you want to get them turned around as quickly as possible, particularly if you submitted a bit later uh, the primary. So uh, just focus in on the secondaries. And then once you've finished with your secondaries, then I would say, you know, you, you can uh, get on with preparation for uh, for interviews and stuff like that. And, then, you know, preparation for the set, um, uh, you know, finishing up those secondaries brings up, I think, a, a good segue. Rachel to uh, uh, our uh, um, uh, our uh, special day on Thursday and and uh, and you want to talk a, lo- a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, thanks for the reminder. So yeah, another thing to keep in mind for secondaries is we are doing a special. Um, two-day event. So tomorrow, Thursday, August 11th, for those of you watching live, and then also Thursday, August 18th, all day long, the entire MAP advising team will be doing live essay review of secondaries. It is by appointment. You need to go to map.com slash live essay. Um, I posted it in the, there's, it's up here on the, the URLs on the screen, but of course that's not clickable, but I did also post it in the chat. Um, for those of you watching on YouTube and Facebook, it's there. So, uh, Feel free to go to that URL, check out what appointments are available. There's still a few left for tomorrow, so feel free to snag that. Um, And we'll look at whatever secondaries you can fit in with us in a 25-minute window and give you as much feedback as we can. Awesome. Cool. And then before, again, we'll get to comments here in just a minute, but I also kind of wanted to talk about interview season. So, Courtney, let's go to you. It's, it's getting to be interview season. Some students actually have interviews this week or next week. What are some tips you have in mind as people are thinking about interviews? Practice, honestly. Uh, it makes a big difference. You can kind of flesh out if you're having filler words or if you're fidgety, any technical issues. It's really important to do, and it'll help you kind of be a lot more comfortable the day of. So really important. Make sure that your space is conducive to hosting or or being in a good interview. If you have construction or loud noises or Mm -hmm. distracting things in the background, that's not going to sit well with your interviewers. Remember, you have such a short amount of time with these people. You want to have a really fruitful conversation and have them see you and not be distracted by what is going on and have your own thoughts uh, being distracted and you know, potentially stress yourself out more than you need to be just because you know um, it's not the ideal setting. And then do some research, right? Look up the school. Please, please, please. (laughs) This is my top thing. Please look up the school before you do the interview. You need to be on all day. You need to kind of take in and sponge as much material and information as they're giving you the day of so that you can go prepared um, to ask the questions that really matter to you instead of just kind of being there for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you need to be engaged. And it's likely that they're going to ask you, why do you want to go to their school? Or what do you want to do to get involved in the community? Or, you know, how do you plan to, to kind of implement yourself into their system? And if you don't do research ahead of time, you're going to be at a loss and it's really not going to show well. So you've already done all this work on your application. You've got a secondary. They're interested in you. Right. Do the legwork, do the research, prep, put your best foot forward. Those would be my tips. Great. Excellent advice. And then final reminder also in terms of events. So we've got live essay review tomorrow and next Thursday. We're doing a live uh, multiple mini interview workshops. We did a live interview workshop a week or two ago. Uh, We'll be doing the live ACER MMI workshop on Tuesday the 16th. So you go to map.com slash MMI and you can sign up and that is free. All right. Let's get to some questions and comments. Dominic, he asks, junior year, I had a poor GPA averaging around 3.0 with three C's and two W's. I finished senior year with a 4.0, fresh and sophomore were around a 3.8. Should I consider a post-bac or is one bad year okay? Well, (laughs) this might be one of those relative questions. Uh, Dr. Ray, you want to kick off here? What do you think about this question? Uh, Yeah, it depends a little bit on... um, 
you know, what the uh, courses were, you know, in the, it, particularly in that uh, junior year and in the, in the, in the senior year. Uh, it also depends a little bit on what was going on in the junior year. Uh, you know, I'd like to know more about, you know, what was happening that, that caused this? Was it the difficulty of the classes? Seems to me like maybe you were going through some, some difficulties personally, uh, perhaps. Uh, so I, I'd want to know a little bit more about that and kind of what was going on with that. The fact that you follow it up with a, a strong senior year is a good sign and that so it's it's clearly this junior year is clearly an anomaly in terms of the four if you look at it all together so I, i'm um I'm a little hesitant about the uh, postback. I, I don't know if that would be necessary. Um, it, I, I guess if you averaged all those out, um, you know, depending on kind of how many hours you were taking each uh, semester and stuff, uh, you know, would 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 give us what your your uh, cumulative GPA is. But um, but I, I, I'm I'm a I, I guess my sort of initial reaction is I'm not sure a postback would be completely necessary, although I, I would backtrack on that depending on kind of some of the questions that I've just asked. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so uh, a, a little bit difficult to, to uh, answer without, without too much more information. Agreed. Yeah, I would, I would also follow up by saying, Dominic, you're welcome to check out MapDAP. Um, right now, you can sign up for a free trial and get free chat advising along with mm-hmm. it. Uh, we can take a look at your trends, enter all your courses, enter all of your information, and we can give you more, uh, more significant uh, or detailed feedback based on your trends. We can definitely do that. Mm-hmm. So I'd Absolutely. encourage you to check that out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I'll say, this is why I was sort of chuckling. Dominic, I don't want to belittle your feelings, but when you say poor GPA, I don't think 3.0. Right. right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes pre-meds are liable to a little overthinking. Um, I agree with Scott and Vernia. We should look at your trends. We should see how many credit hours are behind those numbers because the numbers alone don't actually tell us much. Um, Med schools aren't just looking at a number for the sake of number, right? They want to see that you can handle sustained academic rigor. Um, but uh, what, what you've said so far is not too worrying. Um, but, but, yeah, it would be good to know how many credits are behind those counts. Yep. All right. Infus, I was able to shadow a doctor yesterday for only six hours. I know I'm going to shadow more doctors in the future, but I won't be able to shadow this particular doctor. Does this little time look bad? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad they were expand on my no. <laughs> I'm glad they were able to get six hours. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's hard to get shadowing, man. You're fine. Uh, get get yeah, what you can don't get. Don't worry about it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Antho, uh, Antho, maybe. If you take the MCAT again after sending in your application without letting the med schools know, do we send it in? How do, if we do, how do we send it? Okay. This is a (laughs) mini part question. Right. I think they mean if they retook it without having indicated on the application that they had a future date planned, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would say, the, my first reaction to the first part of this question is it's unethical to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the application clearly says if you were taking it again, what is the date of your application or of your test date? If you put that you're not taking again and you, in fact, are, that's an ethical breach. And, and I think that would be very concerning for the medical schools uh, that, that you essentially lied on the application. Mm-hmm. I have caught people that did not put their planned MCAT in or tried to, in the COVID provisions, make it appear that they were first-time MCAT takers or or things like that and waiting to deliver all of their scores until they got a new one. Um, And so you really don't want to mess around with this section. Put all of that information in disclose everything, release it as soon as you can. If you want your application to be put on hold until that new score comes in, you can contact the school. Most of the time they're going to process it as it comes in. And especially if you have a planned MCAT, uh, if you don't list a planned MCAT, we're not going to know, right? We're not going to know. We're going to process it as is. So you run the risk of potentially not getting an interview and being weeded out ahead of time. So you, you really should reach out to the schools and just like Dr. Wright said, 
disclose all of that information, you will do yourself such a disservice, even if in your mind it makes sense to, you know, well, it's easier to just do it all at once. No. If you have a score at the time that you are submitting your application for any of the services, you need to disclose all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they did include this follow-up. Uh, you know, I can't tell if this is a hypothetical. We're saying we, I don't know if this is a parent or if they're trying to make it be hypothetical. It says, but because we didn't know until our first score, until after we turned it in, would it look bad? I mean, that's like the royal we. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Basically, as soon as you schedule a second date, that's one of the few things you can change in your application. So mm-hmm. as soon as you change and ad- set, schedule an additional date, you need to go to your AMCAS, ACOMAS, TMDSAS application and yep. say, mm-hmm. yes, I have a future MCAT MCA date and yep. list it. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Cameron, if I add schools to my primary after submitting, can those schools see how long ago I submitted my primary before adding them? I'm seeing big nods from our recent director of admissions, Courtney Lewis. Yeah, I mean, we can see when an application was verified and submitted. Um, some schools will will take more note of that than others. It's really subjective. But yes, we can see when you put together and got verified with your application. All right. Raquel, great name. Do you think the MCAT will eventually be phased out? Uh, I have my doubts. Um, You know, I've been in test preparation since 2001. And the first company I was at, the Princeton Review, was very, they do MCAT too, but they were very SAT focused. And our founder used to always say, the day the SAT gets eliminated will be a wonderful day. And I always kind of appreciated that, like, you know, because we know that even if the SAT or ACT or MCAT goes away, that standardized tests will always exist. And I think standardized tests will always exist because curriculums vary, schools vary, and admissions bodies like to have something that is common across all applicants. Um, I don't think the MCAT is the most fair test in the world. That said, I actually think there are a lot of tests that are way less fair. Um, As far as standardized tests go, you know, it's got some pros and cons. My main beef with the MCAT is my my main beef with the entire pre-med process. It's just way too expensive, right? The MCAT isn't just about the money to apply. It's about the time and money to prep. It makes a lot of assumptions around the kind of bandwidth pre-meds have available to give it. And I do take issue with that, but... As someone who's been in test prep a long time, um, these tests don't actually seem to go away very much. And even when they do, they usually just end up getting replaced with something else. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I agree completely. Don't hold your breath, Raquel. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Money mo. Money Mo with their crown. (laughs) If you provide only emotional support and companionship to patients in a hospital or hospice, does that count as clinical experience? Ding, ding, ding. Is it clinical? We always get one of these. Who wants to take this one? I can, I can take it. Um, yes. So money mo, it is, it is patient care experience when we're thinking, you know, are you directly involved in the care of another human being and providing uh, assistance and need and meeting their needs in some way? Um, it is considered patient care experience. Um, beyond what you've said here, we don't know, um, you know, if you're also maybe feeding them. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it's just emotional support and companionship, but I would say that it is good experience um, in caring for another person. So yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would, I would point out uh, in addition to that, I would point out that for many students, you're not qualified to do anything else. Right. Uh, right. You, you know, you can't really do anything besides emotional support and companionship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, if that was deleted as, as appropriate uh, clinical experience, then, a lot of students wouldn't have any, any clinical experience at all. So absolutely it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Justin says, how do schools decide which applications to review first? So Scott, uh, Dr. Scott Wright, you have been, like we talked about at the top, you've been a pre-health advisor, you've been a director of admissions, and you are the executive director of an application service. 
what do you what do you think's the the answer to this question? Well, like many of our responses, it depends <laughs> is, the, is the answer to that question. You know, I think I, I would say that most medical schools take them as they come. Uh, they, you know, it's, 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 you know, as they come in from the application service that they use, uh, that's what they begin to, uh, to review. And, uh, and, you know, now what they, what they review out of that batch that comes in on a weekly basis or whatever, um, will depend on what their process is. Uh, maybe they, maybe they have some sort of algorithm that, uh, takes into consideration a variety of things and that that, uh, prioritizes some over others. Uh, maybe they just review all of them as they come in. Uh, so it, it depends a little bit, but I would say my my guess is that uh, most most schools are going to just do it on a chronological basis. Here's the ones that came in this week. We're going to do those. The ones that come in next week, we'll do those. And and and, and that's kind of the the the, the process at, at probably a lot of medical schools. Mm-hmm. But Courtney, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would say timing definitely does matter. But to your point, the processes and procedures internally are so different on on kind of the extent or algorithms or full review or if, you know, they have faculty that are also screening and their queue lines and things like that. There there is so much to unpack in this type of question because of um, just different processes and things, but timing definitely does matter. And I think most of us, as things come in, we have that process in place and that's how they will be processed as, as they arrive. Yeah. David Green asks, where would you go to look up information about American med schools? Is there a single place to see prerequisites or school mission statements? Well, David, I guess it's a great time for us to plug MapDAP. Um, That's one place you could go to get a lot of information about American med schools. And we've got some Canadian in there. We're going to add more Canadian international over time. That's not the only place, though. So... um, uh, each of the application services has has a place that you can get this. So for the allopathic med schools, the, the schools that are where you get an MD, there's a tool called the MSAR. So the letter M, letter S-A-R. Uh, it's the medical school admissions requirement. There is a subscription fee to it. Boo, unfair. But you do have to pay for a fee to get a year access. Um, and then, Courtney, you want to talk about ChooseDO? Sure. Um, I helped helped build it. Um, ChooseDO is on the osteopathic side and it has that information that you were having questions about. So it will list the mission statement, the setting of the school, it'll go over the curriculum, prereqs, matriculating stats for the last classes, tuition, all kinds of information. It shows every single school, every single branch and additional location. You can break it down. There's also a menu where you can plug in your information as far as, you know, where you want to go, if you want a rural setting or an urban setting and things like that. And it will narrow down the list on there as well. All right. And what about Texas, Dr. Scott, right? Yeah, the Texas Medical School Application Service, TMDSAS, also has uh, a... a, um, a list of the, the, the schools with links to the schools. And uh, it doesn't give a whole lot of information on that, but there's so, there's so much fewer schools uh, in the, in the uh, TMDSAS universe uh, that, that they link directly to uh, those schools and, and uh, to their admission sites so you can view their stats and whatever, whatever they provide. But it, it does have a, a list of the schools uh, applicable. All right. One question, four answers. <laughs> Mapped or any of the individual application services websites. Right. That's the answer. <laughs> All right. What's next? Uh, I don't know if that's Jodhan or maybe it's like Hodan. I don't know if I'm, I'm not sure how, which language to use to pronounce that first name. So sorry if I got it right, Mr. wrong, Mr. Perez. Uh, does the, quote, prestige of the undergraduate university play a part in acceptance to med school? Hmm. No, not really. 
Uh, Dr. Wright, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I mean, generally speaking, I, I agree that it does not really play a part. Now, rigor of the undergraduate curriculum is, is a part of what medical schools are going to be looking at. And, and when I say rigor, what, what they typically are going to look at uh, is uh, wh- where you went to school, uh, what your major was, and even drilling down specifically to the, type, you know, the types of classes that you took. Uh, and how many hours you took in a given semester, for example. But in terms of prestige of the university, uh, they're not looking at the U.S. News and World Report to see where does it fall in this, you know, sort of scheme of, that they have. Uh, you know, I, I, so I don't think that, you know, setting yourself up as a student uh, to go to a prestigious school because you think it's going to look better and help you in the process, I, I, it does really not work that way. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't see that as a... As a uh, as a reason to go to a particular school, uh, okay. I think you go to a particular university because you fit there and you feel like you success you'll be successful there. And if that's a quote prestigious school, great. If it's not a prestigious school, then you know, great too. So just choose a school that you want to go to. Can I can I chime in a little bit on this because I think there's a little bit of depends um, mm-hmm. on on the particulars that your selection committee wants to see. So my, uh, one of the previous deans that I worked with, who was actually from um, one of the Texas schools, he was fairly particular on, on how we saw GPAs and, and viewed things. And so he got me a book about this big and it's the Barron School Ranking Book. And so, you know, so I could kind of look it up and say, okay, at this university, a 3.8 is this versus at this university, a 3.5 is equivalent or something like that. You know, just just as a point of reference, he wanted me to kind of have in my mind. So I don't think it's something that's never going to be viewed. But don't feel like you have to go to these places. But we do sometimes have a point of reference when we're looking at your GPAs and and looking at your coursework and the load, Um, especially since we've viewed so many applications. We become fairly familiar with um, loads. And then as we have students kind of go through the curriculum, we know which ones are doing well, we can kind of look back at their trends and and see what courses they took and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it kind of works its way into things, but um, it's not a necessity, but we have a point of reference sometimes. I, yeah. I think, and, and I think what it's what it's really doing is it's a subjective evaluation. Right. Uh, I think sometimes students think that we have some sort of algorithm mm-hmm. that adjusts the GPA mm-hmm. based on the school you come from, and mm-hmm. I, I've never heard of that at any school. Uh, so I think it's a subjective, re, you know, review and 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 sort of idea. So, and I think that's kind of what you're saying, Courtney. Is, without yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, I'm. And it's just transparency, right? It's going to depend on on the directives you've been given sometimes from your leadership or your selection committee on on kind of how they want you to view things or weigh certain things. Mm -hmm. You know, if if there's other concerns in the application and, um, you know, it's, I guess, when, when you become more familiar, if we're just being transparent, yes, sometimes we do have a point of reference for the school and and what that rigor is or how they do their grading and things like that. But yeah. yeah, I appreciate that nuance, right? Because I sort of immediately shook my head. No, because a lot of the times when I'm getting this question, I'm being asked by parents of high school juniors, should I pick my school for the best mm-hmm. pre-med path? And my answer is resoundingly no then like that's people change their majors. It doesn't play that big of a role. Like you said, it could vary, but also even if you tried to game it, you'd be gaming it on secondhand information that is going to be five years old by the time you apply. <laughs> right. And admissions decisions are not one big monolith. Like, you know, over and over, we've said today, it depends. It depends on the school. It depends on the admissions committee. It depends on the admissions committee, current leader and current vision and what they're trying to do with their body, um, like the body of the school. <laughs> um, so it's just not something I would ever attempt to game. Um, but some of you may have seen that a, a week or two ago, Ryan posted something and he deliberately did not choose to name the school. But um, there was a school in the Midwest that is often viewed as prestigious. 
And they didn't put it on their website, but admitted in an email to a student that they consider four-year universities more prestigious than community colleges. So, you know, that's another common question. Am I going to be dinged for community college? And our answer isn't no. It's It should be no. And if they're dinging you because you decided to save money, do you really want to go there? <laughs> right? So, um, so, yeah, I appreciate, Courtney, that you're kind of pushing back at me a little bit on my knee jerk because that was too simple of an answer. It's not always no. Sometimes it's yes, but I still wouldn't make your decisions about it that way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's a meaty topic. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's see what's next. Uh, I'm having fun names today. Mike and Max is what I'm guessing. So Mike and Max want to know, how do you answer why us if you would honestly be willing to go to any med school without risking uh it sounds like without risking sounding not genuine mm-hmm. genuine because i think mm-hmm. <laughs> for what do you think you better get ready to do your research yeah yeah, yeah. Like you need that. to be you need to be very specific in in you know what you're interested in about that school um and if you can highlight and pinpoint those specific programs those specific um, student-run clinics or whatever it is, it's going to sound genuine. You don't have to worry about not sounding genuine. Um, you shouldn't. You, I get the. I get the the that mentality of wanting to just say, "Hey, I want to go anywhere," but that's not. You really do need to be intentional about why you're going there because, and I tell students all the time, while yes, you would love to get in anywhere if it's a school that doesn't fit your idea of what you want to do as a physician you're not it's not going to work for you it's you're not going to be you know you can't just suck it up and just say okay I'll just deal with it for the next four years so be very familiar with the school itself be ready to pinpoint what specific aspects about the school interest you and try not to approach this as I just want to get in anywhere mm-hmm. agreed mm-hmm. All right. what's next and if a school has a strong primary care mission, but I'm not sure if I want to go into primary care, do you recommend avoiding that school if the other aspects are appealing? Interesting question. I see some shoulder wagging from Courtney. I'm going to take that as a put me in, coach. <laughs> um, I think a good way uh, or a quick point of reference you can check they release information on where their students have matched and what residency programs they went into. You can see past classes, and if it's a majority of pre-meds that they're matching into and not much else, then you kind of know where those pathways have been established and, and what the student body is. Um, I think most med schools are, are probably at this point hoping to produce some primary care physicians since there is a shortage and and there are a lot of underserved and underrepresented areas still left. But I would quickly check the the prior graduates and, and what they matched into just to inform your decision. But I don't think it should be a reason to to not go to a school. Residency programs are their own separate entities. And so, you know, you can hustle no matter where you go and match into what you want. And so mm-hmm. I I don't think that that's the case, but there are little data points if you want to look for those. Mm-hmm. And I would really, I would challenge you to find a medical school that does not have a part of its mission uh, primary care. Right. Uh, I mm-hmm. think most of them, even research intensive institutions will say that part of their mission is to provide uh, primary care uh, physicians. So uh, mm-hmm. it, it's part of the fabric of, of medical education mm-hmm. these days because of that need. Mm-hmm. Good point. What's next? All right. <laughs> DJ Car Wash Service. Are you guys punking me? <laughs> if I withdrew my MCAS before being verified, i.e., I'm not a reapplicant next year, should I email my letter writers and ask them to save their letters for resubmission the next cycle? Okay. So it sounds like you started an MCAS mm-hmm. and then decided this isn't the year. Um, So what to do with the letters? Uh, I definitely think you should reach out to your letter writers and let them know. Um, I kind of appreciate that you have save in quotes because one of our rules of thumb with letters of recommendation is they should be dated the year you apply. 
So I would, I would agree you're reaching out. I would sort of um, finesse that second part of your question. And it's not so much saving as like, hey, I delayed. Here's why. Here's what I'm going to be working on. I'd love to stay in touch with you. Would you be willing to still write that letter for me next year? And then that way, rather than just sending in the same thing, that's going to be information that's a year old, maybe in January, you're reminding them like, hey, it's getting to be time. And here's the new stuff I've done in case any of that is helpful for you. And they may give the the letter a little bit of a refresher and update. And they certainly want to have it dated. If you're applying in the 23-24 cycle, you want it dated in 23. Mm-hmm. Nami says, please talk about online undergrad university degrees that will have, will that have a bad impact on med school applications if you're an older student and can't manage to go back to brick and mortar uni. Vrinia, you want to chime in here? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great question. Um, And I think we just talked about how some schools have certain um, perceptions of, you know, community college courses, online courses. And unfortunately, that is still something that persists. I think COVID highlighted the fact that we can do this work online. Um, Students are learning what they need to learn online. It is just as rigorous, if not more rigorous. Um, So, so I think that perception of it being less than is changing somewhat, but unfortunately there are still schools that view it differently. So Nami, I think you do what you can do, right? The idea is to, to do the best you can in these courses. Um, This is what's available to you. Proceed with that. Do the best you can with that. And when you're ready to apply, apply intentionally to schools. You can you can look. Some schools have posted on their websites what they kind of prefer, what they have preference for, um, and and just don't worry about it. That you can't control that part of it. The schools that will look at your application and consider you will for everything you've done are the schools that you want to continue with and and and. Hopefully that will be successful. You'll be successful in that regard. Um, so do what you can with with what is available to you, um, and and just proceed. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, and I would like to add something to that as well. Um, I would say there are a variety of of online institutions, and be careful with what you which True. one you select. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that are completely online. There are some that are brick and mortar institutions that also offer online uh, degrees. Uh, I uh, just make sure for, for one that the, the school you select is a regionally accredited institution mm-hmm. uh, so that you make sure that the courses that you're taking are going to count. Uh, that's uh, vital. Uh, and uh, also, I would say, look at uh, the history of that institution with online education mm-hmm. and how long have they been doing it? Uh, is it uh, is it a, a, a institution that you're going to be comfortable with? Have they, you know, just you know, ch- just do do your due gil- mm-hmm. due diligence to make sure that it's a it's a legitimate uh, online program and that it's going to count for what you want it to count for. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Good, good point. Yeah. Good points. <laughs> Ah, pressing question. Karen wants to know, when are most interview invites sent for MD and DO programs? Courtney. Uh, Our our answer that we give out for basically everything, it depends. (laughs) Um, They're going to start going out. They already have started uh, going out for a lot of institutions, depending, again, on timelines and process of the individual institutions. Uh, Some will conduct interviews for just a short part of the cycle. Others will do rolling admissions, and they will continue interviews throughout. So just, again, Look up the school, use one of the resources that we listed for those major hubs of information. A lot of times it's standardized, and that's one of the pieces of information that it'll give you is um, the timeline for interviews and when they'll go out. Some of it is internal process, too, you know, and how things are booking up on what dates they have available, if they open new dates, how many of the people that they invited scheduled. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes for this, but interview invites will come out, you know, they'll start coming out really heavy within these next couple months, but some will continue on past then. Yeah, uh, 
sorry, hold on just a sec with that question. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about this more in the fall, but um, because interviews can be as early as July or August and as late as March or even April or uh, we had a couple students we knew this year who got last minute interviews like in June, you know, maybe enough people shifted off the wait list that they wanted to do some refresher interviews or something. Um, so definitely at some point, if you haven't been getting interviews, you have to start thinking about what if I have to reapply, but, e- and we're not there yet. It's way too early, but even when that happens, you can still hold out hope for the current cycle. It's just that you do that prepare for the worst, expect the best thing. So it's, it's a lot of waiting. Good luck. <laughs> uh, all right. Sorry, Marissa, you can go ahead and put that question up. Thanks. Okay. Asia wants to know, does a graduate GPA hold less weight than an undergraduate GPA or does this depend on the school? So I'm going to answer technically and then I'm going to let one of our directors of admissions chime in too. So just from a technical standpoint, when you're applying through AMCAS, which is the most common application, they have a calculation for cumulative GPA. And, you know, if you look up the word cumulative, it basically means all, except that you'll see the way they define cumulative GPA is actually only undergrad and postback, And graduate GPA is a separate number. Um, that said, cumulative GPA is not the end-all be-all of, of all things involving um, the the application experience, you know, we've always said it's not always your cumes. Sometimes it's your trends. You know, if you have a really high cum, your trends may end up not coming up as much. But if you have a 3-3, three, three, but some of it is from C's 20 years ago, and then you've had straight A's for the last 100 credit hours, like that's a different question. Um, so, so the short answer is graduate GPA is often set aside as a different number. But med schools can slice and dice GPA any way they want, regardless of how the application services tracks it. So that's my that's my technical answer. So with that information, Scott Wright, I see you nodding. Why don't you chime in and kind of take it to that next step? Yeah, I agree. I agree completely with what you said, uh, Rachel. I, I think that in, in, in the case of the internal process of a medical school, I think that often, not always, but often, uh, medical school admissions committees know how to interpret a undergraduate GPA. They know what that means. They work with it constantly. So when they see a cumulative undergraduate GPA, they understand what that means. Uh, they have less experience often with a graduate GPA, and graduate GPAs can really vary pretty considerably depending on w- what the degree was in. It was it. Uh, uh, a biology degree with a lot of bench research where you're, you know, basically getting uh, A's and because you're doing the bench research as opposed to sitting in the classroom and gutting it out in the classroom. Uh, so I, I think it, it depends a little bit on the school, but I would say that, that many schools uh, look uh, with um, a greater uh, degree of, uh, of interest in the undergraduate GPA simply because they know how they know what it means uh, better. And uh, a, a graduate GPA does contribute to their understanding of who you are and what you've done and, and what that's all about. And, and we'll go in into that consideration. Uh, but uh, so to say, does it carry less weight? I, I wouldn't really d- agree with that necessarily, but I do think that it's a, uh, it's in, in this subjective analysis, uh, it, it is going to be a, uh, a part of it, but maybe not as much of a part of it as, as the undergraduate GPA uh, might be. I want to weigh in on this one just a little bit, too. If, if you interpret that the way um, weighing, it's likely your most recent coursework. And so you want it to be strong. Mm-hmm. I would say it, it weighs fairly high in that regard. Um, If you had a decent undergrad and then you went into a graduate program, which, you know, was maybe 10 months or, you know, you do the two years and it has fairly high course loads at a graduate level of science and you tank it, yes, that will weigh heavily. So even if it, you know, you have enough credit hours to where you don't dip that much in your GPA, but we see at a graduate level, you're not able to maintain that B and A status and you really struggled. It weighs heavily in yeah. that regard. Agreed. Uh, completely agree with that. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, too long, don't read version. It varies and use your common sense. <laughs> All right. It's 147 Eastern. We still have time for one or two more. Palm says, if I only stick with my CNA for is it is it fine if I only stick with CN, my CNA for all my clinical hours, or do I need to show being able to work in different positions clinically? Brittany Granham, what do you think? Oh, you're, oh, I you're think muted. Friend. Sorry about that. Um, I think it's fine to stick with one position it's not like you have to have a variety of experiences or, or different positions clinically um especially with cnas you're doing a lot of hands-on patient care having said that if you want to um maybe shadow and get an opportunity to see other areas that's fine to do but you don't have to go out there and actually find a different position just for the sake of showing variety in your experiences mm-hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I would add here, I mean, like we, like Verenia said, CNA is a pretty, it's understood mm-hmm. to generally be a pretty sort of hands-on patient care experience. But, you know, CNA is certified nurse assistant. So if you happen to get into a CNA role where you are mostly in the stock room putting boxes of bandages up or something, and you feel like, you know what, I'm actually not getting a lot of patient care, then maybe change it. Yeah, because um, yeah, we can't always tell from the title. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as long as you're getting patient care and it's it's something that's kind of general, you know, like sometimes when people are ophthalmology techs and that's all they've done, I'm like, do do you want to look at anything but eyeballs? Like, <laughs> um, but typically any kind of CNA, med assistant, ER job, anything where you're doing a lot of general patient care is going to be fine for clinical. Yeah. 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 All right. Rosemary says, do schools automatically filter out certain students who technically meet their minimum threshold but have lower than average scores? Will admissions not bother looking at the rest of the application? All right. So this is uh, this is another thorny one. Uh, Courtney, you want to chime in first? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just write that phrase for everything that I answer. Um, Honest answer, some may. Um, Whether they'll rule you out completely or it just kind of put you in a holding pattern, uh, that's potentially part of their process. I'm not sure to the extent how many schools do this, but I I have heard at least of a few that do where, um, you know, it's, they have a benchmark internally where they're kind of looking to be in it. It helps kind of ease the burden of, of the screening process. And, and it's been requested by either leadership or governance council or selection committee and things like that. So it is kind of built into their process. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's a widespread practice, but full transparency, there are at least a few. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent it rules you out could differ. Um, but if you meet the minimum threshold, you do stand a chance. It's just maybe how they prioritize uh, mm-hmm. would, would come into play there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not to Scott, mean, you want to add? Yeah, I com- yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think, uh, you know, you may not know what the minimum threshold is. That may be an, only an internal number uh, uh, or, or numbers based on GPA and MCAT, for example. Uh, but if you meet those, you're going to get some level of review. Uh, now, it may not be, as, as Courtney said, it may not be a prioritizing review. It may not be a full review. It may be a, some, some lesser type of review, uh, depending on the school. But, uh, but, you know, I think if you meet those internal thresholds, you'll get some level of, of review at most schools. Yeah, the piece I'll add here is just keep in mind that it's it shouldn't just be stats. So like 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 uh, the admissions directors have said, of course, stats play a role. But if you rule yourself out based on stats, then you 
definitely don't have a chance. Um, so it's it's part of why we often say don't look at numbers at all when you're choosing your med list or only look at numbers and sent in the sense of there are there are only a few schools that actually give thresholds publicly anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, if, if they give a public threshold, believe them. Um, but other than that, you know, even if your numbers are below their 10th percentile MCAT, their 10th percentile GPA, that means 10% of the class that was a med one the year you're looking at had below those numbers. Those people probably had amazing essays, amazing experiences, amazing interviews. Like, just keep in mind that you are more than your stats, Rosemary. Yeah. 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 All right. 152. We could probably do another one. She wants to know, volunteering and shadowing hard with COVID. How important now? Well, Chi, I'm going to suggest to you that you want to use some verbs in your questions. <laughs> but I think what you mean is it's been hard to find volunteering and shadowing with COVID. How important now? Um, it's important. And yeah, it's been hard. Uh, Verenia, chime in about this. Yeah. Yeah, it's still important. It's still important. There are many ways to try to find volunteering opportunities and shadowing opportunities, maybe virtually. Uh, I think things are a little bit better. So maybe just keep being persistent and looking at, you know, think of different um, different places that you could potentially volunteer at, like hospice centers, um, you know, nursing homes, um, not just necessarily in a hospital, a hospital or in a clinic. Um, but, but it is still important. It is not going to go away. They want to see that you have taken, you know, time to research and understand what, what, what this entails, right? What being a physician entails. You're not, I'm not clear if volunteering means like clinical volunteering or just volunteer volunteering in general, Volunteering in other, like for other organizations is still possible. Um, but if you mean specifically clinical volunteering, that's, yeah, you, you just have to keep pushing and keep trying to do something because that is still very much important. Mm-hmm. Right. But clinical does not have to be volunteer. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, the, one of the first things that a lot of hospitals and um, hospices and private practices did was get rid of um, any kind of non-essential employee during COVID, but they need essential employees. So if you're having trouble finding volunteer clinical, Mm -hmm. try looking for paid clinical. There are lots of those open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I think we can cut it off there. Uh, We talked a little bit at the beginning, but I just want to remind everybody that um, if you're if you need help with your secondary essays, we're doing a live essay review. You can um, find that uh, at map.com slash live hyphen essay. And we're also doing uh, a free interview workshop next Tuesday, the 16th. That's map.com slash MMI as in multiple mini interview. Um, So go check those out, sign up, and hopefully we'll see you again real soon. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.